up, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Van Arno. He uh, he joins us via Skype from his home in Los Angeles. He had he and I had talked about being on the show a number of times in passing whenever we saw each other at a gallery or um, you know a, a couple times via via Facebook. Tried to get some shit together. Uh, we finally were able to sync our watches and sit down and have a chat. It was good to get to know him. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. And again, I've been um, I've been talking to these artists who, you know, are a generation ahead of me, age-wise at least, you know. Um, and it it's always good to get the point of view or even opinion or just experience of somebody who has 10 to 20 years experience on your your own. Um, I think you could learn a lot from, from people like that. So it's good to have these conversations, uh, with these guys. And, um, I, I hope to have some more, more gals on. Um, I'm talking to Mary Iverson. We're trying to get our watches synced up as well. Um, good to have her on the show. Uh, but so we talked to Van and, uh, we had a good conversation. I'm interested to see the, the things that he starts to, um, move into and start to do now uh i want to thank our sponsors for this episode soho design house who has been sponsoring the last few episodes here on the on the podcast uh big thank you to them uh it's, it's always rad when somebody is willing to put financial support into the show like it shows that they really uh you know think highly of it and think that it's important and so I'm, I'm eternally grateful for uh, everyone who has donated and for all the sponsors sponsors who have been uh, on the show. Uh, Soho Design House, if you go check them out, they're on Instagram at S-O-H-O-D-H. That's short for Soho Design House. You can check out their website, SohoDesignHouse.com. If you're in the L.A. area, check them out at 6912. I think I say check them out too much. Uh, if you're in L.A., you know, you're getting your... Your shoppy on over there on, in the Melrose Shopping District. Go check them out. Ah, see, I did it again. Ha ha. 6912 Melrose Avenue. All handcrafted fine art rugs. So basically, contemporary artists are doing designs um, based on their paintings or drawings or illustrations or digital work. And these things are being turned into handmade rugs that are works of art in and of themselves. If you, you know, print collectors, I think of a lot in this realm. If you're interested in, in print collecting and you want to get something that's like the next step up as like a reproduction that's actually a work of art in and of itself as well, this is a good avenue for you to, to collect some stuff. Um, or maybe you want a rug that is, you know, you could use it as a tapestry or, or put it in your house. And just look dope as fuck. I think that that's always an option too. So they, they've had a bunch of rad artists. People like Pixel Poncho, David Flores, Hydro 74, Circle, Hebrew Brantley. I've seen there's some stuff from Phil Frost, uh, Ron English. And a bunch of rad artists. Uh, Dan Quintara. I think that's his name. Uh, so again, please go go follow them on Instagram. At, at S-O-H-O-D-H. That's SohoDesignHouse.com. Or S-O-H-O-D-H dot com. And also, 
make sure you go and see our friends SD Wheelworks over there at uh, 7550 Miramar Road, Suite 300. They're next to Black House, uh, Team Nogara. If you need some, you know, you need some new tires, you need some new rims, you need uh, some new tubes, you need some, like, some new gear, their gear game is top level. Like, I, I never realized all the accessories that go into biking. And they got all that shit on lock. They got some really rad bikes, uh, BMX, like just, uh, you know, like cruiser bikes. They got um, European style, like Amsterdam. You're going to go ride the canal, which is perfect. Like if you're living in North Park and you want to cruise and look cool as fuck with your six pack of, or no, 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 not six pack. Probably tall boys uh, strapped to the back of your bike. Make sure you check out sdwheelworks.com. They're at sdwheelworks on Instagram and the Facebooks and the social medias. So please do me a favor. Go give them a follow. Tell them the podcast sent you. And if if you're in the area and you need some work done on your bike or you want to check out some new stuff that's like fresh off the market, especially the motopeds. Their motoped game is top notch. I think one of the uh, main sellers in California, if not the United States. Uh, if you're not familiar with Motoped, it's a bicycle, motorcycle, like dirt bike hybrid that you can literally ride in the hills of, you know, uh, the East County or, you know, out in the desert somewhere. And you can take it right onto the boardwalk or ride it up to your school campus. Uh, or people, I don't know. You probably can't ride bikes on a campus. But anyway, all these fucking rules and signs and whatever the fuck. So, check them out at SD Wheelworks and give them a kiss or rub their butt a little bit. <clears throat> okay. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwell.com as well. Click on the podcast. You get the information about every show that has been done. This is 155th. You guys fucking sick of hearing me? I wonder how many people actually listen through these fucking things. Um... I hope a lot of you, I hope you guys sit through and, you know, sometimes I divulge uh, personal sides of myself. Like last night, I went to, uh, I went down to Ocean Beach and saw Elastic Waistband at uh, Winston's and it was fucking surprisingly rad. I was a big Grateful Dead fan when I was in high school and uh, got to see them one time. I got to see them live once. Um, but the scene itself was always what was really intriguing to me. The sort of ca- counterculture uh, grouping of people who all were kind of like, fuck the, the system. And I use the word system very generally. Um, and when I went to the show last night, I saw a very tiny uh, semblance of that spirit that I remember being really intrigued by as a young man. So uh, it was really fun to go and do that. And I guess they play at Winston's every Monday night. So if you're into like jam band rock, I mean, they do Grateful Dead covers. Um, I think you you should go down there and check it out. It was cool. Uh, My buddy Devo invited me down to check it out. So I went. I'm also working on a Jerry Garcia portrait for him as we speak, too. So uh, follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast on all the social medias. I just hashtagged the Instagram, but you can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on Instagram and all the other places. Follow Producer Lex. He hasn't been around, but we love him still uh, at Producer Lex. 
And I think that's it. Let's um if uh oh there's a couple things money 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 if you want to donate to the podcast you could do that like I said go to mikemaxwell.com click on the podcast in one of the corners of the page there's a, a PayPal link that you can go and donate I'm also doing a GoFundMe right now for Mr. Sweet Pete if you want to do that uh you can go to the GoFundMe page slash Sweet Peter. Or go to one of my pages and you can find the information over there on Facebook. If you want to help me pay for a $6,000 vet bill. Um, just trying to raise a little funds to make it easier. I, you know, as a budget, as an artist, I'm on a pretty tight budget. And it makes, well, it's tough to make things happen. So asking for a little help. I've donated a bunch of paintings and time and things to fundraisers. To fundraisers so... Hopefully I can cash in on a little bit of that karma, but if not, it's okay. I'll still do all those other things that I do before. All right, so let's uh, jump right into this thing and give Mr. Van Arno a call. Mr. Van Arno, what's up, my friend? Hey, Mike, it's nice to see you. Yeah, how are you? Uh, real good, thank you. Good. It's uh, we, um, we ran into each other recently at uh, Mary Kronowski Gallery. Um, but I guess we had only met a few times before, just like in passing or like quick gallery things. I think, yeah, I think I, I think I met you in San Francisco and I was convinced you lived there for a long time. Yeah, I know that that's been a, a repetitive story. Is it, you know, the, that city had been so supportive. I'm sure as for you as well. Um, yeah, very much so. Yes. Um, yes. I think. I met you. I saw you at the shooting gallery, or met you there. I don't know when I met you. I know that's what I was thinking too. I think I had it in my mind that it was San Francisco too, even though I knew you as an LA artist. Uh, I think at the time, um, but uh, you you didn't grow up in LA. You grew up in the South, right? Well, I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but I didn't live there very long until I think by the time I was one, we'd moved, and I ended up mostly growing up in St. Louis. Okay. And what did your folks do? Um, my mother was a widow, and uh, my father died when I was very young. So my mother was like a stay-at-home mom. We didn't have money, but you know, back in back then, if you had, you know, if your husband had been in the army and you had a child, um, you know, you you got social security benefits. So we didn't. We have a, we had a nice house that I think we built with my mother's uh, what turned out to be my where my father's insurance money. And uh, so I went to this really nice school that was next door. I went to a very religious school that was a private school, and my mother stayed home. And, uh, you know, we didn't really travel or go out to dinner or, you know, like it was it was kind of austere. But, um, you know, it was certainly nice. Were you in like, was it like a Catholic school setting? It was a Christian science school. So we didn't go to doctors. And uh, it's uh, it was it was. Um, you know, I, I, I'd have like 25 people in my class. When we got to high school, it was a little bit more, but it was good. I mean, it was a very quality school. Um, and so whatever education I got, I got there because I learned nothing in art school, you know, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Were, was your family um, religious to b- before that? Um, or, or yeah, your mom? My, mother, my, my mother was quite religious. And, you know, she was pretty tough about it, too. I mean, we didn't we didn't celebrate birthdays because, you know, because man is never born and never dying. And so it was a Christian science is a very mind over matter sort of thing. It's Christianity, but it's you know, it's a lot about the power of the mind and healing yourself with your mind. And um, 
Um, a lot of people have grown up. I think I think James Hetfield grew up as a Christian scientist, also. So if I ever meet James Hetfield, I'll have something to talk to him about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is is it something similar? And I, I I don't mean to say this in like mockery or like you know uh, just in terms of like not really having that much information about it. Uh, sure. You know, like I'm familiar with like the Appalachian like snake handler type. Uh, yeah. Religious practices. Uh, is there some sort of correlation there, or is that just too no? Simple? It wasn't. It wasn't really a fundamentalist thing. Christian Science started like right, right around the turn of the century, around 1900, where there were a lot of you know sort of new thought things happening, and people were you know going to communes and eating breakfast cereal, and there was a lot of interest in some kind of like alternative stuff. You know, like like the, the Kellogg Institute was a place you would go and eat cornflakes and bathe <laughs> in sulfur water and. <laughs> So it was kind of like it was kind of like a, a sort of something that was really new around 1900, and then like in the 30s and 40s, it was kind of big, and a lot of actresses. I think Marilyn Monroe was a Christian Scientist for a while. Ginger Rogers was. Doris Day was. What, you know, lots of. Was there some connection to the um, Theosophy movement? Is that? It was. It, it was a parallel kind of thing. It was. A, I think it came about about the same time, and it was kind of a similar type of thing but uh it, it became a pretty big religion around the middle of the last century and then it kind of petered out my my friends like to point out that probably everyone died because they didn't go to the doctor but... <laughs> yeah so i seem to this... i seem to have some recollection of that um studying freemasonry and some of the people uh there's a guy uh maybe you're familiar with uh manly p hall he's an author oh, i don't think so hmm like cult figure, and he he has some place up in Hollywood or L.A. somewhere that holds his whole library. But everything he did is is available online. And him and a group of there's a woman who actually painted her portrait, and I I'll, I don't have the memory to remember her name now, but she was really creepy. And I came across like a few like connections of people who all sort of had some similar philosophies. And mm-hmm. and they all sort of turned into like hating black people eventually, and <laughs> you know, very, you know, like got weird about genetics and those sorts of things, like a hierarchy of of people and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird. Like I grew up in what I would consider to be a really religious community, and I was in goddamn St. Louis, you know, which is you know we now hear a lot about because of Ferguson. Yeah. But um, I don't really remember people being terribly racist like i had a biology class and we learned about evolution like you know it was i think at the time like it was just science you know and i think probably there were people who were racist but it wasn't really in the in the tenets of the church at all you yeah. know yeah and, sure and but, you uh, know with the, what i was speaking of is also at the turn of the century as well you know the beginning of yeah, the, yeah 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 so you know a much different type of uh culture yeah and, well, the founder of Christian Science was named Mary Baker Eddy, and she's a pretty interesting-looking woman. If you want to do a portrait of her, <laughs> that's I'll have to look it up. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that was that was my upbringing. And like I was just saying, you know, it seems odd for me to say I was raised in a very religious, you know, environment because I think if I were being raised now, like by, you know, snake handlers, it would be far different and probably <laughs> impressive. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things, maybe things have moved in a much more religious direction since, uh, since I was a kid. But, uh, you know, I think I got, a, like I said, I got a really good education out of it. And, you know, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the power of the mind and stuff like that. I'm not going to throw it all out the window, but I just came to the point where I was like, you know, I don't think my spiritual well-being 
has a lot to do with whether I'm sick or not. You know, like it's it's like let's take care of the sickness and then we could work on spiritual well-being. And you know, you could you could look at uh, I guess there I, I assume there's proven science about the placebo effect. So you can see that there is some sort of sense of uh, a body's ability to heal itself. Now, like if your leg gets cut off, that doesn't mean that you can grow a leg back by just thinking. About no, it, right? no. But you know, there's I think there's an emotional or like an attitude component in you know lots of lots of things that you would consider to be more of a physical a physical issue. So yeah, you know, you can't you can't discount stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I for me personally, I as an artist my whole life, I've never really had medical insurance since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, so like I'm, I've uh you know hell or high water have taught my body to you know fight off flus and colds and all the stuff yeah. that people go and get shots and immunities for or whatever. You know, I've been able to allow my body to fight it whether it's with you know putting good foods in your body or you know just riding it out just knowing that you're capable of it maybe yeah well and i think also if you don't like take antibiotics constantly you know your body builds up immunity if you're if you're taking a bunch of other stuff to boost your immunity your body's not going to do that you know that's that's pretty well proven yeah so you know taking lots of medication is not really the road to health i don't think yeah um, so coming up with that in, in that background, uh, I usually, from what I've seen, you know, uh, art sometimes comes out of rebellion. Sometimes it comes out of um, a need to sort of formulate your own path in life. Uh, I would say, in, again, without a very strict, uh, stringent knowledge of your particular path yourself or, or the Christian science particularly, but, you know, like I was raised in a, a, a Catholic upbringing, so mm-hmm. I have a sense of it from that standpoint. Um, a lot of people either decide to kind of fall in line with, you know, a set of rules that makes them feel good about their day and, you know, feel good about their life, Um and I feel like artistic lifestyles tend to veer off those paths, maybe zigzag back across them. Uh, yeah. Did you find that uh, you had any of these types of things rebelling from from a particular system or to get away from, you know, I, I imagine that you weren't taught to that being an artist as a lifestyle is. A, <laughs> no, I don't think I'd ever met an artist until, you know, I went to art school. I went to Otis. Um, I didn't graduate, but I went to Otis for quite a while. But no, I had no like art role models as a child. And I think what happened, I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time alone. And I would do a lot of drawing. And it wasn't that I was so into drawing particularly. It's just that I was real interested in pirates or in dinosaurs or in General Custer. And so I would draw that stuff. And the drawing part was just sort of a secondary, you know, ancillary thing to just kind of indulging my interest and stuff. And I think all kids do that, but, um, I really, uh, I really started to like it a lot. I started to like art a lot. And when I would talk about liking art, I liked like Michelangelo and like really serious Renaissance art when I was, you know, in grade school and I'd go to the library and check out all these books. And, uh, you know, I just found that to be really appealing. But again, like there was no one who I knew who was an artist. Nobody's uncle was an artist, you know, nobody, that wasn't a, a path I knew really much of anything about. So, so, but then, how do you how do you find art school then? Like, how does that cross your path? Well, I think I was, uh, you know, I had, I had gotten out of high school with not very spectacular grades, 
And I was like, well, I'm going to pursue art because this is something I'm good at. Like, this is something I know I can be good at. And uh, so I went to uh, I went to Otis, and I had a portfolio, and I got in, and I was very excited. You know, I was like, God, oh, this is great. I'm like going to this prestigious art school. And, you know, I went the first week or so in the foundation program, and, like, nobody in my class could really draw or anything. It was, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, and I ended up, I, I was interested in being a fine artist, but it was a very poor climate for fine art. Like, this would be, like, the mid-'80s. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would, I started to, um, I started to go into the fine art program after my year of foundation. And, you know, and fine art was, like, you know, you want to paint with a stick with a nail on it, and you want to think, start to thinking about like installations and doing, you know, conceptual stuff. And oh, and like video art, oh, video art was going to be huge. Like let's let's all go go and do video art. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to like you know draw and paint people and animals and action and you know stuff that was really cool. So I was like, well, you know, clearly I have to be in the illustration department. So I went into the illustration department, and um, that was fine. I got out of school. I didn't graduate, but I did do a lot of school and I ended up, you know, doing some illustration and working in that field. And eventually, you know, like five or 10 years later, like 10 years later, you know, Juxtapos magazine came out. There were a couple of galleries in LA that were showing stuff I was interested in. And there was just a much better climate in fine art. But um, when I was in school, it was like, God, there's this like no way I can be a fine artist. Fine art is this ridiculous. Yeah. And you know that I feel like that was sort of one of well, maybe the, the high watermark of illustration for, um, ad design uh for print design and those sorts of things uh, oh yeah there was really there was really cool stuff happening like the airbrush thing where everybody used airbrush and then even people who totally sucked kind of had peaked and some people like todd shore was doing illustration a lot of people were doing illustration and uh, i remember thinking in fact when i switched into the illustration program i was like you know what i can't be a fine artist this is just like this is just a, a t this is not a place where I fit in at all. And I remember thinking, like, I'll just go and become a kick-ass illustrator like Todd Shore. Because he was, like, <laughs> like, 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 I know who he was. He was a famous illustrator. Yeah. So at what point do you realize, okay, this illustrative style is also uh, an equivalent to these other fine arts that you feel like you didn't fit into? Well, I remember, I think I was still in school, and I saw Robert Williams' show. He had a show in an after-hours club in Hollywood uh, called the Zero One, which became a gallery, ultimately. It was um, it was always a gallery in theory because it was open after hours, and it was technically like an art opening, and they'd hang like a bed sheet on the wall or something, uh -huh. and it was an excuse to have like a late-night speakeasy. And they did start showing some stuff, and I saw Robert Williams' zombie mystery paintings at a show in this in this venue, and I was really impressed with it because I thought, like, this guy just doesn't care. Like, he just... It just takes a bunch of stuff he's interested in and puts it all in one painting. Like, here's a zombie, and here's a hamburger, and here's a hot girl. And, you know, he makes up some reason why they're all there. He just makes up some silly title. They're like, <laughs> that's great. I, I want to do that. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think that was sort of a time period where that I feel like it, you know, and I sort of can romanticize it because I feel like that was the, like the beginning of my art career. It was around, it was like, that was the be like very start for me. Like, yeah. Late 90s. And, you know, so there was already a chain reaction there. And I think that was one of the things it's like and I, I tell people all the time now, even when I talk to like young 20 year olds or whatever, like there really is no rules and you could do whatever you want. Like, yeah. And, and really, that's the beauty of it. I mean, there's some ethical issues that are that surround making things. But 
beyond that, like the you could make whatever you want and not show it to anybody in the world. If you really what if really making that thing is what you want and need to do, you can make you know you can make a hundred Mona Lisa paintings if you fucking feel like it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think you know I think a lot of I think a lot of younger artists are like sort of well you know they're smart they're smart that they're they know what branding is and once they get an established thing happening if they're in say a group show and they sell something that's their thing from then on they're going to do that same thing and i'd like to see younger artists actually take a little more risks and be a little more brave but uh you know it'll happen so maybe we could talk about your work and like so you you mentioned being able to draw well at an early age um how, what what kind of things were you drawing early on, and how has the style progressed? Like, um, what's been your sort of uh, your your pathway there? Um, well, like I said, I would draw stuff that I was interested in as a kid, and I was interested in you know stuff that normal kids are interested in. But it was kind of historic, you know. If you if you are interested in pirates and you go get a book about pirates, it has a bunch of paintings <laughs> yeah, yeah. by by Howard Pyle, and they're awesome. <laughs> Because yeah, so you I, mentioned Michelangelo, and I—it's funny, like seeing, like I—I I always recognize some uh, a thing in your work where, like, there's a meticulous detail to the hands, uh, yeah, a beauty also, to before, things. Uh, there's an accentuation. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of that in in the rest of the paintings as well. But I noticed that in the hands. Yeah, I think I like to pay attention to hands, and I don't make hands particularly attractive, because I think when I started drawing from life. I found that a lot of the stuff that, um, that when you start drawing from life, and I actually teach life drawing, which we can talk about yeah. a little bit too. But uh, um, when you start drawing from life, it's like really hard for you to draw accurately because you're really worried it's going to look bad. And I I realized this was like a problem like really quickly, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to draw exactly what I see. And so I ended up drawing these really nasty hands. They had big veins in them, and I like hands to be kind of oversized because that's kind of you know Michelangelo did that. A lot of like comic book type people do that, and uh, you know it's very expressive. So I think that was something that um, it was sort of a a stylistic thing that I embraced. And um, what else? There was more to that question. What else was in that question? I know. I that's what I do. That the show goes like this. I'll say like thirty questions in one question, <laughs> and I'll know that at least one thing will will ping an interest, and then you can go. Well, from there. well you, you know, like, it's the also, spectrum from. When you started till you know, you have a defined style now. Uh, you know, there's a particular set of movements that, you know, like I could see across the room and see your piece in the background. And, you know, like there's things that you could see about your work that is, uh, it would be fucked up. Is that one of your paintings back there? No, that is. It actually is, yes. Yeah, that'd be fucked up if I was like, oh, that looks like one of your paintings back there. And it's like some other shit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't no, but I mean, think about having a cool back. I could have put some... I could have dragged my easel over here closer or something, but no, it's cool. I, I only record the audio, but what I'm saying is that okay. like, I can see, you know, from across the room, like a, a particular angle that you, maybe you'll paint or, you know, like a movement, like I said, an accentuation of things. So I'm curious how that sort of progressed from those early pirate drawings. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I went through a lot of different stages of doing stuff, you know, I did stuff that was, kind of derivative like I was super into Robert Crumb and I did really Robert Crumb looking stuff like in high school when I started college and then I was kind of interested in like doing stuff that was really contour liney and the first paintings I did were like big cutout 
shapes. I would get particle board and I would just cut out these big cartoon figures and stuff. And uh, it was very pop art. So I went through a lot of different things. And I think I got to the point where um, I decided I was going to like seriously pursue fine art. And I had like a bit of a day job at the time, but it was only like four days a week. So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my one day a week off and I'm just going to paint. And I bet I'll, I'll be able to have a solo show probably in five years if I just paint one day a week. Yeah. And it took like four and a half years. It actually took like pretty much almost five years. Um, but I really was just motivated. I never really thought about what would sell because it was a very weird time. And, you know, like I couldn't have thought of something that would like I couldn't figure out what it's going to sell if, if I had to. You know, like I had no idea. So I was just really interested in stuff I'd like to have. I'm like, what do I want to hang up my house? You know, and I would have, well, I want to hang up a painting of Bela Lugosi shooting drugs because I've never seen it. I was interested in stuff like, this is a thing everybody knows about. Everybody knows Bela Lugosi was a drug addict, but there's no pictures of him doing drugs. I wanted to like, make that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of it grew out of things like that. But there's another thing that you mentioned that I guess I didn't comment on. You were talking about my religious upbringing, and then you were talking a little bit about rebellion. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, are these, because I do some work with religious themes, uh -huh. and a lot of people have asked me, like, is this, you know, is this, are you saying something about religion or religious people? And I really, like, never, ever think about that at all. I really, I really do religious pieces because it's so much of the tradition of Western fine art. You know, if you're, you know, if you look at, Paintings by Rubens, I love Rubens. And if you look at paintings by Rubens, it's a bunch of paintings of Jesus and saints doing stuff. Yeah. And so I always thought that was sort of like a language you could use, you know, to talk about things. You could be like sort of doing the same type of work as these amazing people who've, who've come before us. So I did a lot of religious paintings, and I really have no real opinion about religion or what you care to believe. I really, you know, it, <laughs> it yeah. makes well, no never mind to me. I'll tell you, as an outside observer, there seems to be a sort of, um, uh, like, sardonic, maybe sarcastic humor that goes yeah, into there is, the work. There is, there is a lot of that. And uh, there's some of that in the religious work, too. At one point, and I think I did this for the shooting gallery, I did a bunch of paintings of saints because I started reading the stories of saints and they're so wild and weird. Yeah. And so I started painting all these really interesting saints, you know, and if you read like this stuff, this, it's called the golden legend, which is a story of all these saints. And it's, you know, it's from the middle ages and, you know, people talk, talk to bears and, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like ridiculous. And so I started doing these paintings. What I realized is no one has ever heard of these saints or any of these stories. So I just started to make them up. I just make up things. <laughs> So I have this big painting of a woman being devoured by pigs, and she's like some martyr who was devoured by pigs. And I would just make up anything. I'd be like, and just, it's St. Saint, Saint Fulgencia is devoured by swine. You know, it's, <laughs> Which may not be that far removed from the actual invention of previous saints to begin with. Yeah, no one, no one said, like, I don't think that's a real saint. Like, <laughs> no, no one even thought to wonder if it was. We just assumed it was real. That's hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, it feels like we sort of just keep building our own myths on top of old myths on top of old myths. And a lot of yeah. these things show up in your work. I mean, I it's funny. I um, At the end of last year, I wrote a short film screenplay. And all I did as a sort of skeleton, you know, like I had some basic, basic ideas of what I wanted to do. But I went and looked at old, like, Russian and... Uh, uh, Eastern European folklore tales, which are mm -hmm. all just weird mythological things, and yeah. took the skeleton structure of that and built the story around that. And really, you know, it didn't take, besides the 
slight creative effort to put the words into place. Like it didn't take that much. Like it was kind of easy to build structures like that. And we see that I, with storytelling, right? I, I hear that's exactly what George Lucas did with Star Wars. He looked at a bunch of old mythology and stories and sort of just cobbled it together. He's, and he's real open about it. He's like, yeah, I just took a bunch of stuff from a bunch of other different stories and put it in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that turns into a lot of, like, you know, folk tales. That, and, and it's kind of, it seems, the way that the mythologies evolve and keep sticking with humanity, maybe. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of continuity. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of people written things about, well, the story of Jesus is just like the story of uh, uh, Osiris, you know, and like, you know, like a lot of these stories are just sort of re recycled. And, you know, I don't know how much of the story of Jesus is true, but if there's gaps, you know, you make it a better story. That's what <laughs> yeah. you do if you're writing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would anyway. Well, I think anyone would. So, you know, I think I think um, I think that's that I think what you did is what people have been doing for like thousands of years. Right. And it it seems to be that it, there's a very sort of natural art form like like you're almost like you're riding with old ancestors somehow even if you're making shit up along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> um Absolutely. It seems also that and you know, I don't know, maybe it it was a series in your work, but um Music seems to play a, a significant role in in some of the things that you make, particularly like um, old blues stuff. Maybe I thought maybe yeah, looking think... at it, some of the southern roots were there because you know um, there's a lot of like the Delta blues sort of. Um... Yeah, I did. I did actually just one specific show about. It's kind of about the roots of music, and I I had a great name for it. I can't remember what the name is now, but it was called like how poor sharecroppers made English. 20-somethings, rich, rich drug addicts or something. <laughs> like, Isn't that the best part about shows? Rich drug addicts. Sometimes uh, just yeah, putting I, the titles on or is like the best part of shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I did. I did a lot of stuff. You know, I did paintings of like Frankie and Johnny and Staggerly and just weird sort of. And I was already into Roots music at the time. I think I just got an iPod. So I was like sort of just like roaming around through uh -huh. all this stuff that I could just have, you know, and and uh so i did do a show very much um about music and i think music history is really fascinating i'm reading i'm reading hammer of the gods right now which is a really fun read um about, about led zeppelin and their uh -huh. their, <laughs> their their insanity but uh the funny thing is i rarely listen to music when i paint i like i like to put on television and put on like shows i've already seen huh. like block like blocks of fraser and stuff are great for <laughs> thing for me because it's not distracting. If I put on music, it's like, oh, I want to know who wrote this song. Oh, this song makes me want to hear this other song. Oh, I have to, you know, like music. Music is too like, uh, I don't know. Music, music isn't good for like the hypnosis you need for painting. For yeah, me. for sure. There is definitely a, a spiral that you can jump into that can distract you from all the other uh, priorities that you had. Like there are songs that I've found out about, like um, like all the different recordings of Seasons in the Sun. Or the actual oh, French oh. version, and it like I'll if I find that a song has a particular history that I didn't know about, I'll have to go and find exactly everybody who sang the song, where yeah, the original fun. version came from, and there's some songs that just go throughout history that evolve and change just slightly, just like we were talking about with mythologies, that become slightly new songs, and people have no idea that they were 
songs well down the road. You know, even like songs like Stagger Lee, like that the Grateful Dead covered, that there's probably a lot of people who didn't know that people played it before before them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, many and many, many different versions of it. And a lot of folk songs are like that, and that stuff fascinates me. And even, you know, I remember when Metallica's album came out, they, and they did a cover of a Thin Lizzy song, uh, Whiskey in a Jar. And I'm like, I never heard Thin Lizzy do that, so I had to go listen to that. And then it's like, oh, that's like an old folk song from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, see, that's, that's what I always find is that all of the roots all go right back into, like, Oak, uh, uh, Irish folk music that transferred from there to like Appalachian Mountains or yeah. like Eastern Pennsylvania, Ohio area. Somehow, like some some of those like Irish roots, and that you see it like the the type of music that comes out of Ohio now. Like there's a, cr- a tremendous amount of creativity that comes out of that particular area, and I think it's a direct correlation to immigrants from from Ireland. Oh, absolutely, and I think a lot of that stuff from Appalachia. I read, I read something where a lot of that, a lot of those songs can be traced back to like the Middle Ages. Like that's really old stuff. Yeah, you can hear that old English in it. Yeah, absolutely. Did... And if you think, yeah, if you think about it, it's really, it's really like, um, it's, it's got some rich history. So I mean, it's fun. It's fun to think about stuff like that. So I did a bunch of paintings about some things like that. And, uh, and it was, just, it was fun to research it. Like I said, I was just kind of getting involved with like buying music online because I never really did the Napster thing. And, and, uh, so, but yeah, it was, it was really good. It was like something that I really enjoyed doing. And, um, uh, more recently I've been doing, so I actually took a little time off from painting for about a year because I was kind of just tired of, of doing solo shows because this is, this is, this is how I feel about doing a solo show. Here's what happened. You go to the gallery, you say, I'm going to do a solo show. And they go, ah, what are you going to do? And you say, well, I'm going to do this painting. You have like three good ideas for paintings. And there's kind of sort of an overarching theme or whatever. And you're excited about it. They're like, okay, that sounds really good. Let's do it in a year. And so you go home and you do the three paintings you're super excited about. Now you have about four months left to do ten more paintings at least. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did a lot of stuff that I really feel – like I was you know, kind of trying to fill up the room. Now, a lot of this work turned out great because I work really well at a deadline. And a lot of it turned out really good. And a lot of it is people's favorite piece of mine that they've ever seen. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it wasn't like I had a horrible outcome from doing this, but it's all pretty exhausting. So at, uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided, like about two years ago, I'm like, I'm just going to take some time off. And I'll just do paintings I like, and I'll put them in group shows. I'll try to get them into some fairs or whatever. And what I realized was, uh, if without a deadline, I don't really do fuck all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. What happens in that, you, you know, you make those first four paintings and then the ten that you have to make in the crunch. There is some sort of uh, fast evolution that, that occurs in that you get really good at something because you figure out how to do it because you're on that crunch, you know? Like that fire yeah, that's under your you ass. Don't sometimes. Overthink, overthink stuff or mess around. You're like, this is going to be the imagery. The background's going to be this color, and it's going to be like this, and this is going to be it. And you just do it. You just have to do it. And a lot of that stuff works out really good. But it is a, a complete drain on the system, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and that's something that's sort of been coming up, like reoccurring on the show here. Uh, uh, is this idea of sort of a new type of market for artists who. Maybe, you know, like, for, and I used myself as an example, 
Um, you know, I'm not the type of artist that goes and does a solo show and sells out the whole show. Like, it's just, it hasn't been my history. Like, it just. Yeah, it's not my history really either now. Yeah, and I, it's not really a lot of people's history, but it seems like the wall space as it gets fewer and far between, as, you know, collectors become fewer and far between, it, uh, you know, perceptively, um, it, it seems like the rewards aren't as great to like put in all of that type of work and the sort you know, sometimes it takes even losing money uh, as a way to make money on one particular night. And so I think a lot of people are not only like choosing, but are also forced uh, to reevaluate how they make money through their art, how they choose to make money through their art or, uh, what avenues maybe, um, do you see that, uh, happening around you at all? Maybe not you personally, or have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of artists I know who are my age have, you know, are kind of branching out. They're still doing art and a lot of it is doing outside work for money. And a lot of it's like, I want to be in a band now. Like I want to do, you know, and I think it's, it's probably just people from my particular age who, you know, even if they have fairly good careers in the arts are like kind of, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this now. Like, I'm kind of interested in doing this other thing. And they're still doing art. And um, I, I personally have always had some kind of outside work because I make some good money painting, but it's not at all predictable. And yeah. it's not all that frequent. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, when I, when I talk to students, you know, because I, I have students um, that I teach figure drawing to, and I'm like, you know what, it's, it's fine. You're just, you're just going to have some other kind of job, and that's great. You know, it's actually very freeing to uh to have to not have to try to paint something that's going to sell you can you know if you're painting stuff to sell you're never going to like be painting what you want because because you never gonna, are going to want to do something that's just for you because you really were concerned about making that green and that's and, a, people think that they can like but there's something and you maybe you can make the same like a, you can make the same two paintings and if one you're just making without any expectation of what is going to be the end game after it's done the the one that you know is already sold to somebody in your mind like you know that this is for sale to somebody like you haven't like even if it's like a commission it's going to feel completely different than the other one even if it's the same exact imagery yeah no i think you're absolutely right i think that's absolutely right and uh it's funny because like even even when I, if i would when i was doing shows i would do like all these paintings and i'd be like this one this is the one that's going to sell this is the first one that's going to sell and i was never right no never the- there's no formula. Somehow it seems like there is, but I I've, I've yet to stumble upon it. Well, I don't know. I think I think I think a lot of artists that I show with are do I do have like, I'm trying to talk about branding again, but they do have sort of a brand. Uh-huh. And and a person can come into the gallery and say like, "Oh, I love this work. I want to buy that one." And if that one's sold, they look around the room and they go, "Well, okay, I'll buy that one." Like that's not that's not the kind of artist I am. Like, like my, my work is all, it's all looks like I did it. Like, it's not like I'm doing vastly different stuff, but you know, it's not like if, if you can't get one, you'll just take some other one. Like it's not, it's <laughs> yeah. not like that. It's very specific subject matter in terms of, you know, a viewer ability, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just dumb, you know, maybe I'm a poor businessman or something, but. <laughs> well, again, another common theme, you know, there's a, in a, uh, I sort of talked on Twitter with uh, Mike Egan about this, about just uh, there's a difference between the work and the business. 
which is is inherently different than most other businesses uh in that really the work is the business but in in reality making the work is something by itself the selling of the work is a, a completely different thing even though the two are hand in hand and need one another the processes are very different yeah and and many artists i know are very very good at self promotion and you know getting attention and getting getting press, whatever form that takes at this day and age. Yeah. And uh, I, I never, I was always kind of like, well, I'm going to do really good work and everything else will take care of itself. And that sort of happened, but, <laughs> you know, I think, I think people who are astute about self-promotion and stuff do, do tend to do a little better. Um, but uh, that, com- that I, comes with some of the narcissistic uh, behaviors of, of young artists too, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Or old ones. Just damn young artists. Or old ones. Uh, I just like to throw all young artists under the bus. I'm over them. <laughs> Not that I'm that old either, but if they're yeah, in their 20s. Yeah, you I are th- a young artist. Shut up. You are a young artist. I know, but anyone in their 20s can suck a dick. <laughs> As of right now. Anyway. Well, I think, I, think, I think there is a lot of talent out there, and I see a lot of stuff from young artists. That I oh, think of is course. Cool. They're great. But um, at the same time, I do, like I said, I think they're really – if they sell something, that's what they're going to pay for the next five years and stuff just like that. And, you know, I think, I think probably uh, giving a longer, given a longer amount of time, a lot of these, these guys will end up doing stuff that's really good. These guys and girls will end up doing a lot of stuff that's really cool and inventive. But I think it's real easy if you have any level of success when you're young to just like try to stick with that, you know? Well, and there's gotta be, I, I, you know, I think there's a, somewhat of a short shelf life and there's very few spots on the roster to be the person that does the thing over and over again yeah Um, yeah but some people fall into the groove and you know it connects with such a large group of people that some of that imagery becomes important to people and they have the capabilities to make it over and over again but then you wonder so that i was saying like you wonder okay did the art practice like the actual work just slip all the way into the business mode where it's like, you're really just a factory making things for the business. Yeah. And I, I know some people who have been pretty successful doing something like that. And it is tough. It's like tough on them. They're like, I just, you know, really, I have to do this again. Really? And, <laughs> yeah. And that's what I was and wondering. I'm not naming names, but you know, it's, 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 it, it's tough if you have to do the same thing over and over again. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to. I mean, does anybody want to do the same thing over and over again? No. And that's why, you know, you mentioned, like, or the idea of somebody's like, fuck it, I want to be in a band. Like, I want to do some other things. Yeah. And, you know, 15, 20 years straight of painting every day, 12 hours, 10-hour days, nonstop, no holidays. You know, there's fun in between, obviously. But, you know, that could be fucking boring after you do it nonstop like that. And, you know, I think a creative mind naturally wants to branch out and try other things and that's why you know i've been talking about like figurative artists moving into abstraction and doing things that are like completely different than what they're normally known to be to be doing you know yeah it's 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 the other thing about it is it's pretty difficult to do stuff that's really different like i i you know when i was kind of like wondering if i was in a show again i started doing stuff that was just really fast really gestural paintings and it was really hard for me not to just push it into looking like everything else I've done. Like it was, it, it's actually really, really tough. And I really respect people who do mix it up. And, um, 
I mean, I always think of Eric White because Eric White is always doing like vastly different stuff. He does some certain things that he does, but he used to like, I remember I had, I was at a show with him once. It was a long time ago. And he had a painting that was like, I don't know, like 10 inches by 10 inches. And it was like a close up of fur. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like, Eric, you're so cool. You're yeah. my favorite artist by far. This is so great. Yeah, I've never had a chance to meet him, uh, but I've I've followed his work for a long time. I should try to get him on the show. Yeah, he's a good guy. You should actually. He's 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 a really smart dude. So uh, you just did uh, a show when I, I you know I was looking around and uh, checking out all the stuff that you've been doing lately, and saw you just did a uh, another sort of podcast like uh, live video yes. feed thing. Yes, I did. My uh, my my girlfriend uh, Paulina Heron um, had a show for a long time called The Artful Undress, and it's on T-Radio V, which is a thing here in Hollywood, and it's actually an internet show, but it's it's done live. It goes out live when you broadcast it, so people can call in and stuff like that, so oh, it's nice. kind of exciting, because whenever you used to do something live, it's kind of exciting, and of course it's archived, so you can you know go back and, and look at it if you'd like to, but uh, it's called The Poe Show, at the P-O-S-H-O, it's Paulina's show, and, and her it's called The Poe Show. <laughs> So uh, you can you can look you can look it up if you want to. We have one in the can, and we're doing another one tomorrow. Uh, but she's doing a really interesting thing. She's getting a lot of people from a lot of disciplines within the arts to talk about some timely topic. So it'll be you know like a mixologist and a choreographer mm-hmm. and a musician and um, you know and uh, a body painter and things mm-hmm. like that. So she has a big she has a vast amount of people who have been following her previous shows. So. She's going to try to do something where she gets lot, lots of people from different disciplines, interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary people talking about things, which is, I think is really interesting. I haven't seen anything like that really done. So, um, yeah, I would like to give a shout out for that because that's going to be really cool. And I was on the first premiere episode with um, Marissa Gomez, who's a, an art model I've worked with a lot. And her band played, which is really amazing because they're recording right now, Marissa Gomez and the Ghost of Echo Park. And uh, Jennifer Fabos was on also, and she organizes a lot of the um, gallery girl drawing events that uh-huh. happen in Los Angeles, like about four events a week. She like, does a lot of work. So that was great. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of artists, and I'm sure, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a spot for you probably in the future. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, it's awesome. always it's always rad. Like, I love that people are giving a voice to creative types who maybe – uh, don't necessarily get to have a, a audience for some other things that they want to say besides their normal creative path. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is really what that's all about. It's really funny because it's an hour-long show, and she gets about three people on at a time, and there's like barely enough time for everybody to say all the stuff they want to say about about stuff that's not their field. It's like it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. interesting. And again, it's it seems <laughs> for me, I think it's important for people to have the time to sit down and and talk. You know, especially artists who are stuck in the, you know, whatever their creative path is, you know, in terms of like if you're in the studio all day or you're at your desk writing or, you know, you're in the room working on a new riff or whatever. A lot of that becomes very isolationist. Not yeah, even a, lot on of, purpose. a lot of people are, you know, uh, like if, you know, like I'm passionate about you know music and movies and stuff like that, and I get wound up and talk about it. And you know, it's really it's really interesting to listen to other people who are artists or in or well known or slightly known in some field talk about something else because, in many ways, they're kind of more passionate about it. <laughs> I know, and that's, that's sort of what happens on this show. I mean, 
We've done, this will be the 155th episode. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been quite a while. So there's a there's a whole lot of uh, artist babble to go back <laughs> and, uh, and experience. And especially well, me I'm too. Ser- I'm certainly happy to be on finally. And I know we talked about it for well over a year. But um, thank God I went out and bought these headphones. <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, so cool. Where um, Where can people find your stuff if they want to go check out some things online? Well, you can certainly look at my website, which is vanarno.com, and that's uh, that's a great place to see stuff. It's actually in the process of of uh, becoming a better website that you can see on your phone, which is now super important. Uh, <laughs> which is, but, uh, you know, I've heard that about six or seven times, and I say it myself. Just so you, <laughs> you're in a you're in a uh, quality family of people who yeah, all, all I know. It's, fix it's their really website. funny. I've I've had a website I think since like. 1990 or something i remember i i did a i did a painting for a, a band i think and this guy bought it he bought the original from me and he was in san francisco and he worked in the games industry he's like man you should have a website and i'm like what the hell's a website you know <laughs> so he, he he got the name name for me and, and made a little website for me and i may i don't know i may i might be the first los angeles artist to have a website i'm not sure <laughs> It's so weird now too, right? Because they see. Seem... But, but I've had like I've had like four since then. Like it's not that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they, it almost seems like websites have become this, this thing that are like utterly important but totally obsolete. No, it's true, and I like um, I like uh, I think a lot of more people are looking at Facebook or something like that. I'm not I'm not sure what a website's going to do for me, but probably if I had a site people can use on their phone, and if I sold something on it, <laughs> maybe it would maybe it would be better. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, what's your name on on Instagram? Um, I'm Van underscore Arno on Instagram, and that's mostly what I use to post stuff that's like work in progress. And like if I do drawing workshops or I do figure drawings, it's more for I put like rough stuff. I, I put finished things on Facebook, but not even so much. I mean, Facebook, I put like pictures of my cat and stuff. That's what Facebook's for. Yeah. And, you know, I find that people who are looking at Instagram are also pretty interested in the process of how things are made. And, it, you know, we're getting closer. Even though we're being further apart, we're still getting intricate views into or intimate views into other people's lives. I think, you know, the voyeuristic nature of us humans, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. And it's, it's something I enjoy. So I try to put something up there, you know, like once or twice a week, even if it's like a throwback thing from my old sketchbook or something. And also, I, I'm an instructor at the at Noman, at the Noman School of Visual Effects, which is a school here in Hollywood, which is great. It's a really cool school because it's um, for kids who want to go into doing game art or animation or, you know, doing special effects of some kind. So it's a hardcore digital entertainment school, but I teach figure drawing. So it's like charcoal and paper. I teach uh, figure figure drawing and uh, costume figure drawing. And it's been super fun. I've been doing it for about four years. And I'm about to have my first uh, tutorial out on, online on their website. The Noman Workshop uh, does tutorials from people, and they do stuff about like using, using Maya and using ZBrush and lots of different stuff. They have stuff about doing tattooing. They have a very eclectic mix of artists doing tutorials about what they do and i'm about to have my first figure drawing one on so i'm going to give a shout out to that too so look for that from the noman workshop that's that's noman spelled with a g g-n-o-m-o-n okay nice we'll post that on the um the podcast facebook too so the people oh that's absolutely thank you yeah awesome all right let's do internet dap oh boom. boom all right thank you brother i appreciate you taking the time to talk with me man
Uh, like, I'm so glad that we got this together, and it's so good to talk to you and see your smiling face. I know our, our listeners can't do that, but he's yeah. so handsome. Mike yeah. is just so handsome. You know you're just looking at a, a mirror image of yourself right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks again. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Mike. I will talk to you soon. All yeah, right. Have a happy weekend. You too. Thanks. Cool. Later. All right, so that was my chat with Mr. Van Arno fucking cool guy it was you know literally we've only had conversations that lasted like 10 minutes at a gallery somewhere in passing i'm either trying to bolt the fuck out of there or i'm drunk already or you know he's bolting out of there or he's drunk already i don't know um so yeah thanks for listening guys as always make sure you go check out mikemaxwaller.com you can click on the podcast get all the information about all the artists who've been on the show uh make sure you go follow the sponsors for this episode uh, at Soho Design House. I always say at Soho Design House right before when I'm trying to do these fucking little ads at the end. Um, it's at S-O-H-O-D-H, and it's SohoDesignHouse.com or S-O-H-O-D-H.com uh, to check out all the cool rugs and rad art projects that they are doing. Uh, go hit them up. And uh, our buddies over at SD Wheelworks. If you need a bike, you're in San Diego in the Miramar area. Uh, you can go check them out. They got um, Sector 9 skateboards, some Linus Euro bikes, all kinds of BMX action. Um, kink, I think. They, they do some kink stuff. Not like they do kink stuff. Well, maybe the shit. They probably do some kink shit when I ain't around. But that's on them, and I'm not judging. So go follow them at SD Wheelworks on Instagram and on Facebook as well. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Kisses. As I was going over Kilgara Mountain, I met Colonel Pepper and his money he was counting. I drew forth my pistol and I rattled my saber, saying stand and deliver, for I am a bold deceiver. Mushurinamdurumda. Whack fall the daddy oak, whack fall the daddy oak, there's whiskey in the jar. The shining yellow coins, it sure looked bright and jolly. I took the money home and I gave it to my mommy. She promised and she vowed that she never would deceive me. But the devil's in the women and they never can be easy. Musharinam durumna. Whack fall the daddy oak, whack fall the daddy oak, there's whiskey in the jug.